This is Sarah Lemon, author of the Whole Dish blog and food writer for the Mail Tribune newspaper in Southern Oregon. This podcast is produced for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. You can find it online at mailtribune.com forward slash podcasts and read my blog, The Whole Dish, at mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. Cherry tomatoes are showcased in my most recent blog, paired with pasta. Of course, we're getting to the end of cherry tomato season, and I always realize, sort of too late, I haven't had enough of them, and I haven't had them often enough in some of the dishes I really, really love, including a simple, straightforward pasta dish that basically pairs just cherry tomatoes with fresh basil, and mozzarella cheese. It's just an extension of that caprese salad concept when the tomatoes are so juicy and sweet and the basil is so vibrant and herbaceous that all you need is that backdrop of mild creamy cheese with some really good olive oil and you've got the perfect dish. In this dish, the cherry tomatoes are paired with the mini mozzarella balls. Hence the headline, Pasta Pears, Cherry Tomatoes, Cherry Size Cheese, that was posted on September 28th at mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. That cherry size cheese is the term for the mozzarella balls of that size. Celia Gini, I think I'm saying that correctly. It's one of the harder ones to say, and there's several sizes of mozzarella balls. I'm always trying to remember which one is which, but these are the very, very small ones. And they're absolutely perfect in this dish if you can track them down at your grocery store. They are fairly widely available, certainly at grocery stores that have well-stocked cheese sections. South Medford Fred Meyer is a great example of that. And it saves you some time from having to dice up mozzarella for a dish because you just drain these mozzarella balls. They're the perfect size. It calls for a cup of those mini mozzarella balls and four cups of red and or yellow cherry tomatoes. You can use a mixture and you know really what you want to do is stay within approximately the same size so they cook at approximately the same rate. It's important not to overcook these. You want to cook them until they just soften. The skins just start to split too long and the skins start to fall off into the dish and then you've got just a tomato skin, which who wants that with, you know, the tomato flesh. So needless to say, this is a very quick cooking dish, comes together very, very easily on a busy weeknight. That's cherry tomato pasta posted to my blog, The Whole Dish. That recipe's courtesy of Tribune News Service. It's got a bonus with this recipe, a topping of breadcrumbs. This could be optional. You don't have to do the breadcrumbs. The dish is just great without it. But if you've never tried breadcrumbs, toasted breadcrumbs on top of pasta, it seems kind of strange. I like carbs on carbs, but it adds a crunchy contrast in a dish of otherwise really soft ingredients. I'm going to give this recipe here in a few minutes in this podcast, but I want to just talk a little bit about stocking a pantry to pull together pasta dishes like this just almost effortlessly without really even too much forethought. If you've got these ingredients on hand, all you need is one really fresh 
piece of produce to sort of inspire you in a particular direction. I love pasta. I've confessed this many, many times in my blog and podcast over the years. And so I make sure that I stock ingredients that allow me to do pasta on the fly. Some of these are obvious. Olive oil, good quality olive oil. Most people think, well, yeah, of course you're going to use good quality olive oil. I use butter in a lot of my pasta dishes along with olive oil. So I consider butter a pantry staple for great pasta dishes and bacon fat as well. If you cook bacon and you save the fat, that's another one I really love to use. It imparts the flavor of carbonara. I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but you don't actually have to have the meat itself. So of course you want a wide variety of pasta shapes, long noodles and shorter, denser shapes. Let the items that you're using, the ingredients, sort of guide which shape you're choosing. I think it's really nice when the shape of the vegetable sort of mirrors, mimics the shape of the pasta. Julienne, zucchini, matchsticks in the summer with a noodle, a long noodle. When the season for winter squash arrives and that's denser, you dice that, you can choose a smaller, denser shape like oriakete, the little ears. So think about it that way and don't throw every ingredient you have into a pasta dish or it starts to just seem like a smorgasbord. I like to advocate three really purposeful main ingredients apart from your pasta and your cheese and your olive oil, maybe some herbs, but three things that really stand out on the dish. Any more than that and it just it, it doesn't seem refined. It just seems like it's sort of all over the place. One of my favorite additions, again, for crunch, in addition to panko, are pine nuts. I keep these in my freezer year-round. They will go rancid if they're kept at room temperature for too long. And you use pine nuts sparingly, but maybe buy them in larger quantities. So I keep them in the freezer to prolong their shelf life but I always toast them to bring out their flavor. Similarly, slivered almonds are really nice. Those can be toasted as well. And they're a more budget-friendly alternative to pine nuts, which are expensive. I also like to include some really pungent ingredients, anchovy paste and or anchovies. A lot of people might go, ew, really? Anchovies? Don't knock it until you've tried it. It adds such a wonderful, savory depth of flavor to any of your pasta sauces. The paste is really, really easy and makes for the most seamless texture. If you're not familiar with anchovies, the actual little fish fillets themselves are kind of like a next level that is nice if you like an even stronger sort of whiff of that fermented fish flavor and the texture of like the little, little teeny tiny bones that of course you can just chew up. Sort of in that same vein are capers, which are strong and preserved in some brine, as well as brine cured olives, such as Kalamata. You can't only include preserved ingredients and pasta dishes though, or it starts to taste really one note. I mean, preserved ingredients are important, including oil-packed sun-dried tomatoes. I like to keep those on hand in the wintertime when I don't have fresh. Certainly roasted and peeled jarred red bell peppers are really nice as well. 
But all those things in one dish all start to blend together flavor-wise. They need a bright, fresh note to really bring them out. And so you always want to use some sort of citrus, lemon zest, some fresh herbs in your pasta dishes and include those in your pantry staples. Salt, of course, is obvious. Always salt your pasta cooking water. You will never, ever be able to add the salt after the fact to your sauce and have it come out the same way that you would simply by salting the pasta cooking water. So don't forget that. And on the topic of sauces, I think a lot of people are under the impression that sauce comes from a jar, that you buy pasta and you buy the sauce and or you make the sauce in a separate saucepan, maybe Alfredo sauce or something like that. And pasta really shouldn't be sort of overwhelmed by the sauce. It shouldn't be swimming in the sauce. The sauce should be coating it. And in fact, the reason why pasta dishes are cooked to al dente is so they can absorb all of those sauce ingredients in the final couple minutes of cooking when you transfer the pasta from the cooking water to the pan sauce you've created. That's one reason you never want to add oil to your pasta cooking water. Some people think that that keeps the pasta from sticking together, but in fact, it actually keeps the pasta from absorbing the sauce or the sauce clinging to the pasta as it should. It just slides right off. Nobody wants that. So how do you make that pan sauce? It's really, really simple. You saute some ingredients in some fat, whether that's olive oil, butter, or bacon fat, as I mentioned, or other sort of like drippings. Again, I almost always start my pasta dishes with butter, a good tablespoon or even more, depending on how many servings I'm making of butter, because I really think the flavor is just richer and things just saute better. And I like having that depth of flavor with the butter and the olive oil. I often use the olive oil for finishing. You add some kind of fat to the pan, add other ingredients that you can saute in there and sort of caramelize a little bit, whether that's garlic, whether that's some of your preserved ingredients, that anchovy paste. You put the anchovy paste in the butter or the olive oil, it just kind of melts into it. Your tomatoes, if that's what you're using. If you don't have fresh, as I mentioned, oil-packed sun-dried tomatoes are really nice, or canned tomatoes are a great alternative. Then after you have your ingredients sauteed, you splash in some kind of wine or other acidic ingredient, some kind of vinegar or citrus, and deglaze all that. That's what incorporates all the flavors and thickens everything into a sauce. Recipes will guide you through this process, but really making great pasta dishes isn't about recipes. It's about the ratios in which you use all of these things. For one serving of pasta, which I can sort of clasp the quantity of noodles in the circle between my fingers and thumb, that's about how many noodles. I use about a tablespoon of butter, a good half a cup of sauteed ingredients, and a quarter cup approximately of wine. I like cooking sherry and marsala wine to deglaze. Of course, always save some of your pasta cooking water. It also helps to thicken the sauce and bind everything together. And when you pull your noodles out, 
of the water, I like to take them right out of the pot and put them in the pan sauce rather than draining them in a colander because you'll still have that pasta water clinging to it and it just keeps everything moving. If you have drained the noodles, of course, and they're dry and the whole thing is kind of stiff in the pan, that's where adding a good quarter cup, at least half cup up to a cup of pasta cooking water really comes into play. And then you turn up the heat, bring this to a simmer. Everything combines, mingles together in the pan and the pasta soaks up all those lovely, lovely flavors from the pan sauce. That process is basically outlined in this recipe for cherry tomato pasta. If you go to mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish on September 28th and find the headline pasta pears, cherry tomatoes, cherry sized cheese, you can follow that process almost exactly with this recipe from Tribune News Service. It calls for a quarter cup extra virgin olive oil, and that's a divided use. One cup torn rustic Italian or ciabatta bread, that's for the breadcrumbs I mentioned. A pinch each of dried basil and dried oregano, crushed red pepper flakes to taste. A pound of spaghetti, fettuccine, or other long cut pasta. Four cups red and or yellow cherry tomatoes, some sliced in half and others whole. That's just to give a nice interest, both visually and texturally in this dish. Two large garlic cloves that have been peeled and smashed. One tablespoon fresh thyme leaves. One tablespoon chopped fresh oregano. Salt and pepper to taste. A quarter cup dry white wine. A half cup grated Parmesan cheese. And a large handful of fresh basil that's been thinly sliced or chiffonade one cup mini mozzarella balls, which we mentioned. Start by bringing a large pot of salted water to boil over high heat. While the water is heating up, heat two tablespoons of the olive oil in a large skillet over medium heat. When the oil shimmers, add those pieces of bread, one cup torn rustic Italian or ciabatta bread, and the pinches of dried basil, dried oregano, and red pepper flakes. Cook until the breadcrumbs are toasted and golden brown, stirring occasionally, and that takes about three to four minutes. Remove from the heat and transfer the breadcrumbs to a plate, and you'll use those at the conclusion of the recipe. The pasta water should be boiling. Cook the pasta. That's one pound. In the rapidly boiling salted water, according to the package directions, until it's al dente. Set aside one cup pasta cooking water, then drain the pasta. So while the pasta is cooking, you should have time to make the pan sauce. Heat the remaining two tablespoons of the olive oil in the same skillet that you use to toast the breadcrumbs. Add those four cups, red or yellow cherry tomatoes, sun golds, of course, are lovely in this. Some of them sliced in half, some of them whole. To that, add the two large garlic cloves that have been peeled and smashed, the tablespoon fresh thyme leaves, and the tablespoon chopped fresh oregano. Give all of that a good stir and season a taste with the salt and pepper and add a pinch or two of red pepper flakes, depending on your preferred spiciness. Cook that until the tomatoes begin to soften and pop. The recipe testers for this one recommended about five minutes. I would err on the lesser side of that. Tomatoes cook really, really quickly, particularly cherry tomatoes. And before you know it, they're overdone and the skins are starting to fall off. So look for the skins to just start to split and then pour in the wine, the quarter cup dry white wine or sherry. Cooking sherry also works well for this and cook for one minute. Again, you want to immediately turn it up and kind of make sure that it's simmering. Add the drained pasta to the skillet 
along with a splash of the pasta cooking water. You may need more. Toss gently to combine and then stir in the half cup grated Parmesan cheese and that handful of finely sliced, not chopped because you want it to retain its color and aroma and texture and to be recognizable as basil because you've got other herbs in there. So just thinly, thinly slice the chiffonade, toss that in, and if needed, thin the sauce and kind of keep this from all sticking together with a little more pasta water. Remove it from the heat, add the mozzarella balls and the breadcrumbs, give it a good stir and serve immediately. You don't want to let the cheese sit in this too long or it'll start to melt and get stringy and if there are pieces together they'll all clump together in a big mass so it's really important that the mozzarella balls are added at the last minute so they remain separate and individual and still have a great texture and that makes four servings of cherry tomato pasta another really really lovely pantry staple pasta featuring one two if you count the basil seasonally fresh ingredient. You can find that on my most recent blog under the headline pasta pears, cherry tomatoes, and cherry size cheese from September 28th at mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. And as the weather starts to turn cooler, find recipes for tomato corn chowder using some of those late season tomatoes and also if you have green tomatoes left on the vine for a BLT from fried green tomatoes with bacon and avocado. Those are just some of the seasonally fresh sort of globally inspired recipes posted to my blog. Thanks for listening to and reading The Whole Dish.